Welcome back to Bible time. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Father, in Jesus' name, please help us to understand, help us to comprehend your word. And Lord, I pray that you would dispel doubts and hard sayings, Lord God, and, and give understanding of hard sentences and help us, Lord, to not be led astray by the error of the wicked. Help us, Lord, not to rest your word as unstable souls do, Father. Free us and loose us from the doctrines and commandments of men and give us the liberty that can only come through the truth. You said in your word, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I pray that you'll do that for us today. For those of us that are here and for those of us that will listen to this online, I pray that you'd bless them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here's a church that was born in trouble, and Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus had written a letter unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there it spoke of the position of the church of the Thessalonians. And then he says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And the last two um, podcasts that we put out um, of Bible time had to do with the election of God, the church of the elect, and then the evidence of election that we looked at last time. Um, and then today we're into the call of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Go to 1 Corinthians 1. Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. Now we're going to spend a little bit of time right here. The call of God is all through the Bible. It's undeniable. We're going to look at a couple other verses that talk about the call of God to salvation. And we're going to dig into that some today. As we get there, I want you to recognize, and, and I was going to wait to say anything about this, but I want to go ahead and say it and say some about it now. Um, the two arms of the cross are faith and grace. The two arms of the cross are faith and grace. The, the pull of the cross represents, I believe, and I haven't ever really taught on this or studied it out much, but that pole of the cross is that upon which the brazen serpent was raised. The brazen serpent was raised on just a pole. Christ was raised on a cross like the serpent. And that pole that lifted him up, I believe, shows, and you see this in drawings and stuff, it shows the bridging of the gap between man and God. So a lot of times in evangelistic literature, you'll see a picture of a cross laid across a great gap and fire on either side of that gap. 
and the flames of hell licking up people that are falling over the precipice into hell. And then across that great gap will be the great beam of the cross with the two arms sticking out the sides there. And usually we just kind of um, say, well, that's a great visual image and move on. And so that main beam there represents the bridging of the gap between God and man. It represents the fact that Christ became a man. He was lifted up for all men to look unto. Isaiah said, look unto me and be saved all ends of the earth. And all those that would look at the serpent of brass would live back there in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ was lifted up so that those that would look upon Christ would live. And he bridges the gap between heaven and earth. He is the one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus, but the two arms of the cross, the two parts that stretch out to the left and to the right that gave that they nailed Christ's arms to, opened Christ's arms to receive the world. His arms in his dying posture, his arms were held open even in his dying breath. And the dead crucified Jesus Christ our Lord, who did not die by art or cunning of man, but by his own free will, Jesus Christ. Christ laid down his life and died for our sins on Calvary. He said, it is finished, and gave up the ghost. And the Romans couldn't hardly believe that he was dead already. And that was because he had given up the ghost. He was not actually killed. He laid his life down voluntarily for us and died for our sins according to the scriptures. The gospel is not the gospel of following a man who was killed. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the man who died for our sins. And in his dying posture, he had his arms outstretched, one to the left, one to the right, And those outstretched arms have always and forever been a symbol of welcome. Do you hear me? Do you hear me today? When when you walk up to somebody's house and they put their hand up in your face, you know they mean don't talk to me, get away from me, back up. But if they come and you walk up to them and their arms are open wide, like this, then you know that they're welcoming you. And they say, come, come into my house. Come, get a hug. Come and be close to me. And when you see someone that you haven't seen in a long time, it's very common for that person to throw their arms wide open before they even get close enough to wrap you in a hug. And there was Jesus Christ on the cross with both of his arms wide open, even in his dying breath, his arms were outstretched. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do his arms were outstretched and when he laid his head down upon his chest and the last breath had left his lungs and Jesus Christ the righteous almighty son of God the creator of the universe who had just died for the sins of all mankind lay there against the cross with the nails still holding his hands out and open to receive sinners do you hear me today The gospel is a welcome from God. The gospel is a call from God. The gospel is a beckoning, a welcome from God. And the two arms of the cross are grace and faith. Grace is God's operation in the salvation of a man. And faith is man's operation in the salvation of a man. 
faith without works is dead. But saving faith works because saving faith taps into God's grace. And saving faith combined with the grace of God brings men to God through Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. If you have a doctrine and a religion of grace, but you cut faith out of your religion, you have, you're going to tip off the side of the cross. And the people that follow you, many of them will go to hell. If you have a doctrine of faith without grace... And it's all about your faith and your religiosity and your ability to will or emotionally feel or to intellectually comprehend the gospel. Then you will tip off the other side of the cross and many of your followers will follow you and you will possibly yourself go to hell. If you do not have grace, you will not get to heaven. And if you believe in grace, but you don't believe in the soul saving work of Jesus Christ that brings you to to repentance, you will not go to heaven. It takes faith and grace. We are saved by grace through faith. Grace, again, is God's part in reaching down to man. Faith is what that young man just did and reached out and took my hand and grasped it. Faith is God's hand reaching down from heaven, or grace is. Faith is man's hand reaching up to grasp the hand of God that is outstretched. No amount of faith can overcome a lack of grace. Do you hear me today? If the grace of God is not present, reaching down to the man, then the man can reach all he wants and grasp nothing. But because of the grace of God, the grace of God extends the offer of salvation, the word of God says, to all men. And because of that, we know from the word of God that the hand of God is outstretched for salvation and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved whenever they in faith believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and reach up with their hearts and grab hold on the hand of God. They have found salvation by grace through faith. God does not reach down from heaven and grab people by their hair and pluck them up by the roots and take them to heaven like carrots out of a garden. That is not how it works. God made vegetables without souls and minds, but he made men with souls and minds, and he requires that men obey the gospel, repent of their sins, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Both are equally true. The two arms of the cross are grace and faith. Now let's get into our text some more. And Lord Jesus, today, if there is anyone listening to this or that will listen to this that is in a state of a lost condition or not understanding or knowing for sure how they stand with you, I pray that through this teaching of your word that you would um, just issue again the call of your Holy Spirit to their heart to trust and believe and be saved and that they would do so in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, Paul puts a torpedo in the baptismal regeneration ship and sinks it forever when he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. 
If, if baptism was part of salvation, the act of salvation, then Paul would here be thanking God that he never had a part in any more than two of them getting saved. And the absurdity of such a thing it would it should be absolutely obvious to you today. But he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephan- Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize. Wow, did you hear that today? Christ sent me not to baptize. Christ sent him into all the world to preach the gospel and that sinners should be saved. And we even know in the Great Commission that it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So Jesus did instruct us to baptize. And he instructed people to be baptized. But here Paul says Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, the gospel, the Bible says, is the power of God unto salvation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say baptism is the power of God unto salvation. We're not preaching on that today. We just threw that in there for free because that is the context here in Corinthians. It says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? By the way, I was listening to a radio program one day. Um, as I was working, I tuned into a radio station. And here it came with a um, Bible preacher, teacher, a Bible teacher. He came on. And he said that today we're going to study these doctrines that we've been studying here in our podcast. Basically, election, predestination, foreordination, the call of God unto salvation. Um, He was getting into some of those topics. And he said, now this... What I'm about to tell you today, he says, and is, and um, he'd actually gone beyond those. He was applying those things to eschatology and getting into a whole other subject we're not even going to touch. But what he said was this. He said, the average mental ability is beneath this subject, basically, was the gist of what he said. He said, the average individual doesn't have the mental faculties to comprehend the truths I'm about to tell you today. But those of you that have the mental ability to comprehend this will enjoy this lesson as we dig into and named his doctrine, which, by the way, was in total error and contradiction to Scripture, which proves that I do not have the mental intellect to follow his line of reasoning either, and I'm just fine with that. The reality is that the Bible is given to us written on a fourth grade reading level. Did you know that? Some of you guys should know that. I've said it before. A fourth grade reading level. The Bible is not a masterpiece of scholarly oration. What the Bible is, is the power of God unto salvation through the preaching of the gospel. The Bible gives us the truth of how sinful lost men can get to a merciful, loving God who is a holy and just God who will damn them to hell if they do not repent. 
but in because of his love and his mercy, he has made a way of salvation for them. The Bible is written in basic terms, and it's written simply and simply constructed. Now, there are things that are hard to be understood, but why are they hard? Let's look at it here in First in Corinthians. If we don't get this, we're dead in the water, even beginning to understand the call of God to salvation. We've got to get this down. So I hope you'll pay attention. He says here, um, un- the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. What did God just say he chose to use to save them that believe? What did he say? The foolishness of preaching. Now today, with God's help, I am going to present to you, I'm going to spoil it right now. I really debate whether or not to do this, but I'm going to spoil this right now. And some of you want to, are going to want to shut me off out there um, just because you already have preconceived ideas about Bible words and you have redefined the Bible to fit your personal experiences. You've redefined the Bible to fit your favorite preacher's personal experiences that you haven't even shared, but that for some reason you hold the rest of the world hostage to. And some of you are going to shut it off because you've already redefined the Bible to fit what you read in your Bible seminary textbook and you refuse to look at the scripture for what it actually says now if you have a Berean heart and you want to see what the Bible says about the subject of the call of God hang on because that's what we're doing today and stay with us and we'll be glad to have you and to study this out with you now um, for those of you that are wondering where I'm going with this I'm just going to tell you straight up what I believe the call of God to be from the scripture and then I'm going to continue by showing you more scriptures to substantiate that if you have a difference of opinion, I ask you to hear me out and give me Bible scripture from the authorized version Bible that substantiates your opinion of what the call of God is. And if you have clear evidence from scripture, I would be grateful to see it, even if it contradicts what I'm teaching, because I am not God. I am just a man. And I'm trying to understand and learn the Bible and preach the Bible. I'm doing the best I can. I can make mistakes. Show me from the Bible. And if it's from the Bible, and if it's in its context, rightly divided, instead of twisted and rested in the scriptures and you can show me that then I will change and publicly alter my teaching if you can show me that I am wrong according to scriptures by God's grace I will humble myself and do that if I find myself in that situation now so what is the call of God right here in our text it tells us in verse 21 now it doesn't say the call of God is but we can see from the evidence what it is he says for after that in the wisdom of God look at verse 21 the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe back in verse 18 it says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Now we're going to tie this together with the text that we started with and get our definition of the call of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Did you get it yet? 
Have you got that definition yet? I'm worried about even saying the definition because most people will either take it and run with it and use the definition without looking at the scriptures or you'll shut it off just because you don't like the definition and you won't look at the scriptures. Well, either error is, is the same, the same error, just different outcomes, and I favor neither. I don't favor the blind lemming that follows me any more than the blind lemming that won't follow the word that I preach. So I want you to know the Bible for yourself. Now, I told you I would tell you, so I'll tell you. The, and here we go. This, the call of God is the gospel delivered in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance to the heart of man through preaching of the word. I'm going to repeat that today. Maybe you want to write it down and say this idiot thinks he can define terms. Well, so what? The call of God is the gospel delivered in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance to the heart of man through preaching. Again, the call of God is the gospel delivered in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance to the heart of man through preaching. There are two extremes here that will tip people into hell with the call of God. The first is easy believism, and the second is extra believism. And we're going to look at those here in a little while by God's grace. I can't keep you all on. If you want to shut it off, shut it off. Here we go. Let's look at the Bible. Uh, for after that, in the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians verse 21 of chapter 1, after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. By the way, you don't like that definition, send me yours and the scripture to back it up. I want to hear yours. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Look at what he says right here in verse 24. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. There it is right there. So the gospel being preached to them all did not profit some. Some see it as foolishness, they that perish. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And why is it the power of God unto us which are saved? It says in verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So those that are called experience the gospel in the power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, just like Paul said to the church of the Thessalonians in verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only. The gospel in word only is the foolishness to them that perish. When they hear the gospel and it comes in word only, it is not substantiated by power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance given by God from heaven and they deem it foolishness and they turn their backs on the gospel. But to someone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, why did they believe? Now, if you are truly born again today, you can think back and remember. And I can remember, though I can barely remember much because I was very young. I can remember the day that the truth of God's word suddenly became something that God said and not what mom said. The day that that happened, it was like the word of God went off like thunder in my soul. And it wasn't because God 
God spoke through an audible voice or anything else, but it was because the Holy Ghost of God decided in his own sovereign will, the will of the Father, to come down to where that little lost sinner boy was and to ratify the reality of the word that I had heard that was lifeless, that was dead, that had no effect, that was foolishness to me, that could not change me, that I despised, that I ignored up until that day. And on that day when God Almighty spoke the word, it thundered in my soul and I turned to God and fled to Christ, fled to the cross because the gospel came in in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Now, you say, well, that's your experience. I gave my experience after I gave the text from the scripture. I'm not saying experience is bad. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and loved not their lives, even according to the death, the, even, even unto death. The danger of experiences is not that they're not powerful. It is that they are powerful and that we will rest in the power of a testimony and an experience instead of in the power of almighty God. And that is a danger. That is a damning danger when someone puts their faith in the testimony of a man instead of the testimony of almighty God they will go to hell believing a testimony of a man because without faith it is impossible to please him and it says he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him faith in man takes men to hell Faith in Christ is the way to heaven and gives access to the grace of God. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. I'm excited today. I'm excited to have a Bible. I'm overjoyed to be called to preach the word of God. I'm overjoyed and thrilled in my soul to have the word of Almighty God. Not just the word of a man, not the opinions of a scholar or a theologian this is exciting stuff because i don't have to sit around in a great big dingy room that's half out of oxygen because of all the fat theologians that have been sucking the air out of the room for the last seven hours while they argue stupid reasoning from man's wisdom and doctrinal dissertations and essays and doctoral theses all day All I've got to do is open the Bible and let the Bible tell me what the Bible means by comparing Scripture to Scripture. And as the Word of God says in Psalms, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy law do I love. You want to understand the Bible? Fall in love with it. Read it like crazy and believe every word. And you'll have more understanding than all your teachers. Because thy law do I love. Pass me up. I'd love it. You go on. Read that Bible till you know more of it than me. Out preach me. I'd love it. I'll sit and listen. Hallelujah. Bless God. This is the book of God. We're not talking about the book of man. This is the book of God. And it explains itself. Now it says in verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is what really, just forgive this phrase. I hope you don't like it. or I hope you do like it or don't mind it. This is what hacks off the theological crowd. The wisdom of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And they don't like that. They paid good money and spent a good part of their life going to school to get their fancy toilet paper on the wall with the gold lettering that's too crispy to even use comfortably. 
and it's got all the little black letters on it to say that they're a somebody because Mr. Somebody else said they were a somebody because Mr. Somebody else said that that guy was a somebody and somebody else said that that guy was a somebody and somebody else said that that guy was a somebody and so because they said that somebody was a somebody, now you're a somebody and now you get to tell somebody what somebody said about something even though it doesn't even have to have any foundation in truth or logic. We've got the word of God today. The theological crowd, they want to take it from you. Beware of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They want to make you feel like you are inferior to them and cannot comprehend the truth of God unless you get your gold gilded toilet paper with black letters on it. Not true. All you need is the Bible. Now, let's see here. It says, for you see your calling, for ye see your calling. We're in verse 26. Brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That's calling, called, called, calling. Them that are called. It starts out Corinthians, called. Paul called to be an apostle unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Listen, the call of God is undeniable. It's in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. But what is the call of God? The call of God is the gospel delivered in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance to the heart of man through the preaching of the cross. Now, the call of a minister is whenever the gospel of God is delivered as a burden to the heart of a saved man through the in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance so that they go out and preach the gospel. The call is really simple in the Bible. By the way, what's the call? Hey, you over there, come over here. That's a call. We don't need a bunch of mysticism and mystery and doubtful disputations and, and smoke and mirrors and theological fog about this thing. A call is a call. It means a shout out. Hey, I'm choosing you. Get over here. That's a call. How does God call? What's the, what's the body of the message of his call? Does he call in a still small voice or does he call like thunder? What's the message of his call? We're looking at that today. The message of his call is the foolishness of the cross of Jesus Christ. By the way, what's the call of God to a real minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The call unto salvation is the revelation of the gospel of Christ in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance to the heart of man through the preaching of the cross. But the call to a minister of the gospel is whenever God takes that same preaching of the cross and lights it on fire in that man's heart and says, hey, you go preach. That's all there is to it. Nothing more, nothing less. Hallelujah. He says here, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, things which are despised hath God chosen, 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 and God hath chosen, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written he that glorieth let him glory in the Lord 
chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now that we're here, we have three things here in Thessalonians, power, the Holy Ghost, and much assurance that accompany the call of God that is to the elect. Power, in the Holy, in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. Three things that the gospel comes in and that the word, that the word came in. Now, uh, verse 6 says, Howbeit we speak wisdom in 1 Corinthians, again, 1 Corinthians 2, 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Listen to this. The princes missed it, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew for had they known it they would not have crucified the lord of glory did you hear that if the princes had known what was going on they would not have crucified the lord of glory if Pilate had known who jesus was if he had really known his something was bothering him wasn't it he even said, he even washed his hands and said, I find no fault in him. Take ye him and crucify him. And he tried to push off the responsibility because something was bothering him, but he didn't know. If he had known, he wouldn't have done it. If he would have really known, he wouldn't have done it. But he didn't really know. How come he didn't know? The gospel had been preached all over the same region that he had been governor of for, I'm not sure when he started as governor, but likely the whole of Jesus's ministry, Pilate had been present. He'd had the opportunity to hear the same gospel. He'd had the opportunity to hear about Christ and hear the teachings of Christ. So had Herod. And he crucified the Lord of glory. He went right along with it. He did not know. How did he not know? He heard the same thing. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, you do not hear me because you're not of my sheep. If you were of my sheep, you would hear me. He said, you're of your father, the devil, and his works do you do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he's a liar. And he says, his works ye do do. Ye cannot hear me. Therefore, I said unto you, ye cannot hear me because ye are not my sheep. We studied this in the, in the study of election, and we're not going to go over all those verses that we looked at last time again. You can go back if you missed it. Evidence of election. But here, Jesus Christ had preached the gospel all over that area, and yet there were people all over that area that did not hear it. They did not believe. It is a mystery. Listen to me today. Here, here goes some fat kid running, to, um, sliding down the road on his bicycle, and he's got an ice cream cone in one hand and an apple pie in the other hand, and here comes some other kid with his shirt buttoned all the way up and a Bible under his arm and sticks out a gospel tract with a cross on it and he sees a picture there of a guy dying on a cross and there's fire on one page and a cross on another and he's got his apple pie and his ice cream and the kid says listen you don't want to go to hell believe in Jesus and be saved he's going to go and drive on 
unless something else happens. You see, the gospel is a mystery. The gospel is a mystery that was not made known in ages past, but in this age was made known by Christ and through his holy apostles. And this mystery that is now revealed is nevertheless a mystery. And by the very nature of it being a mystery, that means it's not something that the human mind actually readily grabs. In fact, listen to me, the natural man, the Bible says in Corinthians, cannot receive the things of God. They are foolishness to him, neither can he discern them. That's right down here in these next texts that we're going to look at real quick. Um, It says here, Um, In verse 9 of Corinthians, but as it is written, I have not seen. Have any of your eyes seen the risen Lord Jesus? No. Neither have, have, um, nor ear heard. How many of you have actually literally stood and listened to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount? Not I. Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, I know we quote this about heaven, and it does have application, but look at what it says next. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Why did the gospel get preached to you and 15 other people at the same time, or maybe 1,500, and how come you got born again by the power of God and your friends and maybe loved ones mocked and walked down the road? How come? How come? Is it because you're so holy? Is it because you're more special? Is it because that God looked down through the ages and said, that guy is going to be the right guy, and so I'm going to make him more special than everybody else? I'll tell you, there, there's a part of foreordination and foreknowledge that was played, but I'm going to tell you why you got saved. And it's right here in this verse. If you got saved, this is why you got saved. God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. The natural man cannot receive the things of God. Look at what it says. It says, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You ever meet somebody and you try and tell them about Jesus? Where are you going when you die? I hope I go to heaven, but I don't really know. And nobody else can know either i don't know my pastor doesn't know my wife doesn't know and that proves that nobody can know because if my wife doesn't know nobody else has permission to know but moving on from that it says here for what things knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him even so the things of god knoweth no man but the spirit of god now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of god that we might know the things that are freely given to us of god by the way that's another great verse along with john that says these things were written that you might know that you have eternal life The I don't know so and can't know so crowd doesn't know so because the spirit of God has not revealed it unto them. And what does that evidence? If someone doesn't know if they're saved and can't know, now I'm not saying that people that are saved never struggle. Sometimes saved people go through real battles of whether or not they they know and they feel like they're lost and they're not certain. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who live a life of unknowing. 
and their doctrine is a doctrine of unknowing that you can't really know. If they profess such a thing, it is because they have no enlightenment of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is given us of God. We have a Spirit given us of God that is taught by the Holy Spirit of God. That's a lowercase s. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of God. They are foolishness to him, unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So this here tells you why people are lost. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then he closes that line of logic scriptural Holy Spirit logic. And by the way, the Bible is logical. Those of you that have illogical Christianity need to get right with God. The Bible is logical, but it has to be spiritually logical, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now it says we have the mind of Christ. Now if you have the mind of Christ, that means you know some things. And that means that you have access to the truths of the mystery. Mysteries are hard to understood, hard to be figured out. But whenever you have the key to the mystery, it makes it all so much more clear. Imagine that you're in a giant house and somebody is killed in the night. And there are 25 people living in the house and the private investigator comes in and the police officer comes in and they're trying to figure out who done it, who killed the man in the night. And they start going from person to person, investigating, asking questions, searching the rooms. And then in walks a man. And that man knows who did it. Who's going to prove who did it first? Who's going to find the evidence first? The man who knows or the people that are trying to figure it out? This is basic, right? Whenever the mystery is revealed to you and the answer is shown to you, then you know. And when you know, the mystery evaporates and faith takes flight and the grace of God is activated. But you can't know until you see it. And that's the operation of Almighty God through the gospel and through the power of His Holy Spirit. And this should humble us today as we study it. God's will for you is that you should be saved. Before we go any further in this subject, we need to lay, some, lay the groundwork with this statement here. Um, hold on to your hat. You ready? Christ didn't die a limited atonement death. Some of you say, what on earth does that mean? Others of you are already reaching for the shutoff button. Limited atonement, let me help you decide to shut it off. Limited atonement is heresy. It's out of hell. Jesus Christ did not die only for the elect. Jesus Christ died for all men, and that's Bible. And if your Bible scholars tell you otherwise, then show them the Bible and tell them, with all due respect, sir, you're wrong. And if they kick you out of school, thank God, jump and click your heels together, go home and read your Bible and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because you don't really need them anyway. Praise God. Now, Christ did not die a limited atonement death. I'm going to back that statement up with Scripture. Go to 1 Timothy quickly. Go to 1 Timothy. 
no statement that is a standalone statement that somebody won't back up a scripture is worth listening to. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And you guys that want to try and say that that all doesn't mean literally all, you can just go fly a kite and have your own little theological errors and I hope you don't go to hell. I hope you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get away from that stuff. Now, there's some good people that believe limited atonement. I understand that. Good Christians can get off on a tangent. But that doctrine is a heresy. Jesus Christ died for all men. The Bible says who will have all men to be saved. Who will have all men to be saved. Verbatim, that's what it says. Who will have all men to be saved. How many men would God will to have saved? According to that verse. He will have all men to be saved. See, there's two wills of God running through the Bible. There's actually many more than that, but there's two categories. There's the sovereign, providential, unchangeable will of God in the Bible that no one can stand against or resist. And then there is the... um, will of God in the Bible that falls into his permissive will. What he allows men to do in spite of what he would prefer that they do and what he has asked them to do. And you cannot deny that those two things are in the Bible without throwing out huge portions of scripture. Now, I don't doubt you can deny it. Many, many do, but they've thrown out the scripture and rested the scripture to their own destruction. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, quickly. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And by the way, what's the context there of that all? He's talking about whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So all the reprobates that God killed in Noah's flood, he says here that God wills that all be saved. Now we're moving on here, and we're going to find John 3 quickly. You say, oh, no, not John 3.16 again. Yes, John 3.16 again. There's a reason. It's one of the greatest scriptures, one of the most popular scriptures in the Word of God. And there's a reason you hate it out there, some of you that hate it. It's because you need to get saved. The Bible says here that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, and Jesus Christ himself said, whosoever will may come. Let him come and drink of the water of life freely. So the salvation of God does not universally apply to all men and that's obvious in the bible universalism is an equal heresy to limited atonement they're kissing cousins just opposite sides of the same demonic coin titus 2 and verse 1 or verse 11 go there quickly um so there jesus said whosoever will or he says that in many places says it in revelation he said whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life in the book of titus in verse 11 it says for the grace of god chapter 2 verse 11 for the grace of god that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men so we know from the scripture first of all that god wills all men to be saved that it is god's will for all men to be saved but we also know from scripture that god has given man a 
responsibility. That while God's grace reaches down from heaven to lift up a sinner, the sinner has the choice of whether or not to reach back up and take the hand of Almighty God. Some of you are ready to shut it off again right there. But just go read your Bibles and get off your doctrinal high horse and humble yourself for Christ's sake. And let's move on. These heresies destroy the effectiveness of true Christians and send the following generations to hell. Now, it says here in Acts 2.39 that this gospel is unto you and to as many as the Lord our God shall call. So does that mean limited atonement? Well, you cannot throw out the scriptures that openly show that God has willed all men to be saved. But here it does say that the gospel is to you, even to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Second Thessalonians verse chapter 1 and verse 14 says that God called by our gospel. So we're going to dig in here in our final minutes here and try and get a scriptural definition of the call of God, which I've already shared with you, but I'm going to give you the scriptures little bit more scriptures we've already done most of them to see what is the call of God how it is applied we're going to observe it in the Bible Um, let's go in the New Testament to the book of John chapter 1 and verse 36 and I want to show you the call of God now before people get all uptight I just ask you this you you show me from the Bible your call you say the call of God is x y or z show it to me from the Bible prove it I will listen if you show me from scriptures. My email is right there. If you pull this up online, you can get my contact info. Shoot me an email. All right, so John chapter 1, verse 36, it says here, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John the Baptist here, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, how many people were there when he said that? It doesn't tell us how many, but the Bible tells us that the multitudes had come out to see John, right? There were thousands gathered all around John the Baptist. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And it doesn't say, and 500 people heard him speak. Look what it says in the next verse. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. Isn't that a mystery? Are you following this today? Out of all the crowd that was there, the Bible says, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. What about all the rest of the people? Did they hear him? Yes, they did, but they didn't hear him. They heard him, but they didn't hear him. What was the difference? Two of them heard the call of God. Hundreds of them heard the call of John the Baptist. But two of them heard the call of God and they followed Jesus, which will happen when people hear the call of God and respond to it. Now, there are those in the Bible who hear the call of God and will not respond, will not, will not repent, will not believe. Matthew four seventeen, yet another call of God. The first thing Jesus ever preached in the Bible, he said, repent ye. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, Isaiah 55 gives us the call of God in the Old, Old Testament. And it's all through the book of Isaiah. I had, I had trouble picking a verse even. And I looked over the one that 
I would uh, that I was looking for, but I found so many other good ones. I selected one of those. Isaiah fifty five six. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You say that's not the call of God. That is the call of God. And if someone is touched by the Holy Spirit of God. And they hear that in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, it will be the call of God to them. Again, 2 Thessalonians says that God called you by our gospel. The gospel is the means by which God calls man to himself. Isaiah 32. There's another verse in here that says, Look unto me and be saved, all ends of the earth. But here in Isaiah 32, he says, Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Now we're going to try and move fast here uh, and look at a few others. That, that one right there in Isaiah, the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. Look at the next verse. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. I can't help it. We got to look at that one closer before we move on. Um, hold your place there and go to John. I believe it's 15. John 16. John 16 verse 9 deals with the ministry of the comforter who Jesus Christ said is the spirit of truth and is the Holy Ghost. So here, the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, in verse 7, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged that's the ministry of the holy ghost the ministry the holy ghost is not floating around trying to give people whirly bugs and make them dance 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 like i heard on the contemporary music that was blaring uh, in a recent place that i was visiting and the guy's saying dance just keep dancing and i'm saying dance about what you're on your way to hell repent and believe the gospel quit dancing and fall on your faces anyway that's just Soapbox, help me, Lord, to stay on task. <coughs> Needs preached, but not right now. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the Holy Ghost re- re- um, comes to reveal to the world, reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The call of God is the reproof of the Holy Ghost on the lost soul of a sinner that calls him to repent of his sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to flee from the judgment and wrath of Almighty God, the sin of the sinner, the Savior Jesus Christ, and the coming judgment, sin, righteousness, and judgment, sin, you're a sinner, righteousness, look unto me and be saved, judgment, there's a hell to shun, there's an eternal lake of fire flee from the wrath to come which we did find in the bible by the way what verse was that looked it up the other day in matthew and in luke jesus instructed the pharisees or john the baptist said to them who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come so there's that so this is sin righteousness and of judgment people say oh the holy spirit's in this place and they sing all these songs and they do all this stuff and they stand there in their their sins 
unrighteous, facing a coming judgment, unprepared to die, waving their hands in the air and waggling their hips back and forth like a drunken festival, all the while saying the Holy Spirit is in the place. But if the Holy Spirit ever shows up at these churches across our land, they will fall on their faces before a thrice holy God and repent of the sin and the iniquity that has separated them from that holy God. Acts chapter 2, quickly as we look at the call of God in the Bible. Hallelujah for the call of God. Hallelujah for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached with power, preached with anointing. Bless his holy name. Acts chapter 2, quickly. Here Peter the apostle says um, to these people, he preaches Jesus Christ. He says, I can't even preach the whole thing right now. We don't have time. Peter preached it. Read it. Um, Chapter 2 and verse 14, all the way down through verse 37. Let's just look at the last verse there of the sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Let me tell you something today. When a lost sinner comes under conviction of the Holy Ghost and declares himself to be a sinner and starts to cry out, what must I do to be saved? Don't you doubt for one second, but that the call of God has already been issued to that sinner's heart. Hallelujah. We've got to get this right today. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Moving on to 319. He says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And then we see here in chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter preaching. Um, it says here, Filled with the Holy Ghost, said ye ruler of the people and elders of Israel and he says here in verse 10 be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom ye crucified whom God raised from the dead even by him doth this man stand here before you whole this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and look at your next verse Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Wait. That was as good a sermon as any I've ever heard. The difference was the Holy Spirit did not deal with them. Do you hear me today? The manifestation that the Holy Spirit did not deal with them is that they did not react to the gospel really one way or the other. They just kind of marveled. They took note of these men. They marveled. They were, hmm, hmm. And they didn't like what they were preaching. So they sent them aside off to this, uh, and they had a council about them. And then they came back and said, don't talk about this Jesus anymore. And they sent them away. Now, maybe God dealt with some of them, but by and large, the group wasn't dealt with. Let's keep going here. Um, verse 29. So here goes Peter, and immediately he's preaching again the same thing. which I have the wrong chapter there. That's 529. So here they got grabbed and thrown in prison for preaching next. And then um, 
the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth in verse 19 of chapter 5 of Acts. Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So they went and preached. And then the Sanhedrin brought them forward and Peter preached again. And we are his witnesses. Look at verse 32, uh, 31. Him hath God exalted. We got to get 30 in there. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Look at verse 33. Night and day difference between chapter four and chapter five. Verse 33. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. When the call of God is rejected by a sinner, they become violent against the gospel. And the evidence that the call of God has gone out, which by the way, this whole doctrine of the irresistible call of God being a universal thing is absolute malarkey. It's not found in the Bible. I'm sorry if you disagree, but I love you in the Lord and I thank the Lord for you. If you're saved, you just are wrong. The call of God is the Holy Spirit anointed, empowered, and assured gospel imparted to men through the foolishness of preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. And here they were cut to the heart, took counsel to slay them. They were held back by Gamaliel at this point. Now in chapter 6, you have a man named Stephen. And then in chapter 7, he preaches to the same group. And this is the last time that this group would suffer the gospel to be preached in their midst. And when Stephen finished preaching the gospel, the Bible says, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And they ran on him and they took him outside the city and they stoned him with stones. And he cried out, Father, lay not this sin to their charge and fell asleep. Or I'm sorry, he's calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, before we look at Acts 8, where we will wrap up our biblical examples today, again, I want to show you the call of God in the Bible is the gospel of Jesus Christ delivered in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, which is our text here in Second in First Thessalonians. It's delivered through the preaching of the gospel. And if you look Look at our text there in First Thessalonians. This was what gave them the status of saved and elect of God. And this is what produced the belief that they had. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Verse 6, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Um, Chapter 2 there, um, a key verse in all of the Bible. um, For Verse 13, For this cause also think we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us that's the difference between the word that comes with the with much power and with the, in the holy ghost and in much assurance and the word only is that they received the word as the word of God he said ye received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe so what wait 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 effectually worketh also in you that believe God reaches down his hand from heaven, outstretches it to a lost and dying world, and sends out his preachers to preach the gospel. 
And then, as the world rejects the gospel, just like the Bible said they would and says they will, he came unto his own and his own received them not. As the world rejects the gospel, God in his sovereign will and mercy and grace begins an operation of the Holy Spirit of God in the hearts of men and begins to call them to himself through the gospel. Now, some people have experienced a call of God that was a voice like thunder that shook their soul. And they turned. I remember one man who I love and cherish in the Lord. And he tells a precious story of how he left his house to go to work one day, lost and undone, but resisting the truth and maintaining a false assurance of salvation. And on his way to work, he said, there was a voice like thunder in his soul. You're lost. And he stopped in his tracks. And he knew if he went on to work without dealing with God, he was a dead man. And he went back to his house and sat there on his couch, broken before God for hours. And then finally the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shone in his heart. And he trusted Christ and was saved. For others, the call of God might be almost indiscernible as from God. Because while they're sitting in the church house or at a tent meeting, The word of God that's being preached will suddenly become so real to them that deep in the recesses of their spirit, they know it's true. And they're being called by God right there. The danger here in this doctrine of the call of God is that on the one hand, we have easy believism and the other extra believism. I wish we had more time. We are out of time. I got to shut it down. So we're going to shut it down here. We're just going to have a few more minutes. I pray that you bear with me. In the easy believism realm, what happens is people go out to tell the gospel to poor lost sinners. And they think through ignorance and failure to study the Bible that anybody, anytime, any place can say magic words and be saved. And that's not in the Bible. It doesn't exist. They call it the sinner's prayer. Very well meaning. But the sinner's prayer, as they call it, does not exist in the Bible. And in fact, it can't be the sinner's prayer because it's different in many of the different literatures that are put out. Now, what? so is everything they're doing in vain and fake? Absolutely not. A lot of these people will go out and soul win a thousand souls to Christ by getting them to pray a prayer. And unbeknownst to them, because of their ignorance, which is not a mean word, it just means they don't know. And unbeknownst to them, because of their ignorance... While they're preaching Jesus to these people, as simply as they're preaching it, they come across a person that God's been dealing with that needs to just believe and accept Christ. And God's already dealing with them. And while they're telling them about Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to them in power and in much assurance. And they pray a prayer, but the prayer isn't what saves them. Their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ saves them. And they get truly born again. By the power of God. And I thank God for that. The, the grief of this whole thing is that because of the ignorance of this uh, faction of well-meaning Christians, thousands more people are vaccinated against the gospel, as one preacher puts it. Because now they have prayed a prayer and been told that they're eternally secure. Well, they have never understood the gospel. They have some kind of intellectual assent to it. They have some kind of willful choice of the gospel. They have some kind of emotional feelings towards the gospel. But they do not have the gospel revealed in their hearts that has shown them their condition as a sinner needing to be saved by grace through Jesus Christ. So that's easy believism and it's very dangerous. 
for a lot of people. Nevertheless, some people still get saved. The other extreme is extra believism. And in this camp of dear Christians, um, some through complete ignorance of the scriptures, or perhaps they knew the scriptures at one point, but became evil affected towards easy believism. Sometimes that's what does it. And they're, they're, angst against this ignorant manner of soul winning causes them to jump off the other side and they begin to add things to the gospel, extra believism. It's not good enough for them if you believe, if you haven't had the call the way that they say you're supposed to have the call. Do you hear me today? And this can happen to somebody that's taught heavily in these kinds of doctrines without balance. They can apply this to themselves and they can be sitting there under conviction of the Holy Ghost waiting for some kind of voice from heaven to echo and say what God said to that dear saint. You're lost. And they might be sitting there waiting for God to tell them they're lost and they don't need to because they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit already and they need to move. And if they don't move, they'll wait too long. A man cannot get saved whenever he wants to get saved. That's true. So what do you tell a lost man? You tell a lost man the gospel. And when the gospel becomes real to them, you tell them, move! Today is the day of salvation! And you preach the gospel. You never tell a lost sinner to trust in their own faith. You never tell a lost sinner to wait until God calls them. You tell them to believe the gospel and to be saved. You show me in the Bible, show me one biblical example where, the, where in the Bible some man, woman, or child was instructed by a witness for Jesus Christ to wait until God called them. It doesn't exist. Dealing with the lost who are listening but they're not getting it requires much wisdom. And it requires patience. And it requires being filled with the Holy Spirit yourself. And fitted by God for the work that you are trying to do instead of fitted by man and by man's systems. Anybody can be taught to sell a sinner's prayer and to cheaply usher people into the kingdom of heaven through a repeat after me prayer. Anybody can do that. The Jehovah's Witnesses do that. Tupperware does that. Selling little plastic bowls. Anybody can do that. I did a stint once selling credit card services in a call center for to people who didn't even want to talk to me on the phone. And I became very adept at it because I was hungry and I couldn't live on the money they were paying me unless I sold some stuff. So I learned how to sell. Okay, And that's why I tell you again, don't trust me. Trust the Bible. I can sell you a bunch of malarkey. You better have Bible for what you believe. I can sell you stuff you wish you never bought. You better have Bible for what you believe. You better have Bible for what you believe. And it better be balanced and rightly divided. Now, the easy believism on the one side tips people into hell who have prayed a prayer and never come under a revelation of their sin before God, a revelation of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has not dealt with their heart. And on the other hand, there are people who are suffering, who have come under conviction for their sin. And as much as they believe they're able, they have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they didn't pull it off the way that somebody else did. And they've heard these powerful testimonies like the wonderful dear brother who was on his way out the driveway. And I love that man and I love his testimony. But they hear a testimony about that and sometimes through no fault of anyone else, they apply it to themselves. And they think that they have to have a similar experience to be saved. And then what are they actually looking to for salvation? Christ or an experience? 
an experience. Now they're looking for an experience, and that's extra believism. Whenever you start adding visions, start acting, adding voices, adding thunder, adding a feeling, emotions, a great fear, add tears. Oh, if you don't cry enough tears, you're not really saved. Anathema. It's a lie. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And what do we preach to sinners? We preach Christ and him crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to us that are saved, the power of God. If you are here, if you're sitting here and you have fallen to either extreme, I ask you to repent if you're a Christian. If you're lost and you're sitting there and you're holding on to a little prayer that you prayed sometime, but you know deep down in your heart that none of this is real to you at all. It's just a bunch of fairy tales and you're going along with it and you're really not sure you believe any of it and it doesn't seem real to you, but you're just trying hard to persevere by force of will or by emotion or by intellect, then forget that stuff. Let go of it and seek the Lord while he may be found the Bible tells you to seek him go to Acts 8 we're going to close here I know we're over time I pray that you'd have mercy on me Acts chapter 8 here's Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch um, uh, verse 27 and he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia an eunuch of great authority under Candace queen of the Ethiopians who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot read Esaias the prophet now no amount of Bible reading can save you but if you need to be saved read the Bible believe on the Lord Jesus Christ you say well I, I want to believe but it's like I can't read the Bible some more. Cry out to God some more. Listen, you don't pray through to get saved. You believe to get saved. But sometimes you got to pray through some of the obstacles that the devil puts up in your way of salvation, even as a lost man, and cry out to God and say, God, get me out of this slough of despond. God, get me out of this, this slough that I'm in. I want to believe you. I'm trying to believe you, but I don't have the faith in me. And every time I read my Bible, it's like walls go up and the blinders come on and I can't see it. God, be merciful to me sinner help me lord in jesus name until god tears down the walls and lets the light burst through in your conscience that's not praying through to get saved that's praying through the obstacles that are hindering you to be saved you say can a lost man pray and god receive it he can pray those kinds of prayers he'll not turn away the prayer of the contrite Acts 8 here, the Ethiopian eunuch says, uh, or was returning, reading Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran to him, ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? Now, Philip knew doubtless, and we know he didn't need a man to guide him, did he? He did not need a man to guide him. What he was admitting, though, was that he was reading the Bible. This is a man who wanted to be saved. Do you hear me today? This is a man who was trying to be saved. This is a man who desired power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance regarding his soul, and he didn't have it. That's why he'd been up at Jerusalem worshiping, and now he's going back to his job, and he's still reading the Bible on the way back. He bought himself an expensive copy of the prophet Isaiah's handwritten doubtless on vellum or papyrus and here he is carrying it back with him in the chariot reading the prophet Esaias but the blinders are still there and he can't understand it 
but he wants to, but he can't. So God sent him Philip. Philip came to him. And it's, look, he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? The answer is wrong and wrong. How many of you knew that already? It wasn't just a man that this was written of. It wasn't of the author, and it wasn't of some other man. It was of the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the eunuch here says, Who speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Wrong and wrong. He could not grasp it. He was not understanding. His eyes were blinded. The Bible says if our gospel be hid, it is hid because of the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. And here Philip did something miraculous. Philip did something amazing. Philip pulled out his Greek. He pulled out his Hebrew. He pulled out his theological seminary degree and showed him all of his letters of commendation. He pulled out a systematic theology. He pulled out three textbooks and slammed them on the floor and said, Study these. I'll have your exam papers to you for your final test next week. None of the above. Look what Philip did. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And if you think Philip did this, you've missed the whole point of the whole message and you're probably going to miss everything else. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Wait, wait, wait. I'm not done preaching yet. I haven't finished my brilliant oration. I haven't finished all of my exegetical exactitudes and everything else that I was going to show you. I have some more wonderful exegesis to display to you and give you the full understanding of my prowess as a theologian. No, 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 no. Philip said, let him interrupt and he said if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest believest what and he answered and said i believe that jesus christ is the son of god what happened between verse 34 where he says whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man and then verse 36 or 37 that is where he answered and said i believe that jesus the man christ god in the flesh is the son of god what happened? The call of God. That's what happened. This man was seeking God. He was wanting God. He was reading the Bible. He was trying to make heads or tails of it. He wasn't getting anywhere. And here came Philip. And all Philip did was preach Jesus. And God has ordained the foolishness of preaching to save some. Listen to me today. We've got to get this. We're over time. I know that. But we've got to get this today. And I ask you just to bear with me. It's worth every second. We've got to get this. The preaching in the power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance of the cross of Jesus Christ was what it took to open this man's eyes. Now, if anybody else had showed up and said, pray this little prayer, one, two, three, repeat after me, this man would have gone on to Ethiopia lost. 
But here came a man that preached to him Jesus. And you'll find that this man didn't say that there was a voice from heaven that shook his chariot. There was no bright light above the brightness of the noonday sun that caused him to fall upon the ground like had happened to Saul of Tarsus. You want to talk about a call of God experience? Look up Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, which is coming up next, by the way, but we won't go there. We're out of time. Here's a man that didn't say that he heard the call of God shake the heavens and the earth. He didn't have any experience that he mentioned at all. Here, Philip is preaching away one-on-one, telling him about Jesus from the Bible. And the man says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? I want the world to know I'm a believer. Wait! The transformation happened quietly. Quietly. It happened silently. It happened unnoticed even by Philip, who was stopped by the Ethiopian eunuch because he didn't need him to keep preaching anymore. How about that? What had happened? God had visited that Ethiopian eunuch with revelation of the truth, and the Ethiopian eunuch was ready, and he accepted what God showed him through the preaching of the cross, and he was saved. And he that followed with his baptism. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would just bless this message and let it be for your glory. Lord, I'm, I hope I didn't waste anyone's time. Lord, I pray that you would just bless this word and let it go forth in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.